In this week's episode, we cover the absolute ridiculousness of the absolute carnage sketch issues, T implores Ryan North about justice for Mew, and Chris gives us a recap on who Leviathan is not. It's all happening now on Cover B. everybody welcome back to cover b good afternoon evening morning whenever you decide to listen how's everybody doing hopefully you're doing great i'm trying to hear them please well, trying to hear their response that's that's not how podcasts work though oh you're doing good it's good to hear everyone except for you greg greg wait you you couldn't hear th- greg you gotta get your shit together but like but i can't hear th- i know margaret left you okay but uh, it's gonna be okay uh, greg Oh, you gotta pull yourself up by your yeah, bootstraps. Yeah, I totally hear him now too. And shut like, up, T. This oh, is between me and Greg. Damn it. Anyway, so how about that absolute carnage, Willy Wonka, golden ticket shit that's going on right now? <laughs> you mean the absolute bullshit? <laughs> yeah, the absolute <laughs> trash. So for those who don't know, twenty issues or twenty, I guess, copies of uh, the main cover for Absolute Carnage, which came out a week ago have a special surprise in them yeah they have a a custom exclusive sketch by mark bagley um in the back there's only 20 in the world presumably i think it's the world i don't imagine they limited it to the united states (laughs) but uh so yeah so if you bought absolute carnage last week check your copy it's on the inside cover of the back cover so just flip to the back and you'll see it. It's a big white page. So roughly how much is this damn book worth? Um, so I was doing some estimates with some people and we don't know what the print run is for Absolute Carnage, but we can kind of assume. And by our assumptions, we're looking at probably like one in 10,000 has this thing in oh it, at God. least. And that's probably a conservative assumption. So. Oh, God. No real, the problem with things like this is that there's not really a way to evaluate the value value. you know because i can take a blank cover and i can go to you know a convention if mark bagley's there and i can have him draw me up a sketch you know that makes it valuable sure if i flip it but like it's not like mark bagley sketches don't exist you know and so it does there's the randomness to it. There's the fact that there's only 20 absolute carnages that have this in it. But, it, you know, it will really boil down to, is there a market? Because, yeah, it's technically, it might technically be 1 in 10,000. But, like, you know, and if you know what ratio is, like, a ratio variant, like a 1 in 100, the ratio is set at $100. Right. Essentially. Most people sell those below ratio, especially when it's something that's ordered a ton. Um so you can't really put it at a $10,000 ratio because it's not as unlike kind of more common incent- common incentive variants. The market is much smaller on something like that. Right. On this like exclusive sketch, this like custom sketch. Right. So like it could honestly just be like a few hundred. It could be a few thousand. We won't know honestly until somebody puts up money for one. Until somebody goes, hey, I have one, and someone else goes, I'd be willing to pay. Blah. Because once a sale happens, because it's, it's this bizarre thing, like, 
you know, most comics, the market is decided by the dealers who put them up and the people who sell them. Right. Um, and that affects the price. And, you know, there's all kinds of arguments to be had about, like, oh, dealers put it up for above cover when it's important. Wah. Businesses want to make money. What's that all about? Capitalism? <laughs> what? Like, there's all kinds of whiny arguments you can have about it. But, you know, ultimately, <laughs> the market is decided by the people who sell the books. Right. And the market is also decided by the people interested in buying. If a price point is set too high on a book, people aren't going to buy People it. aren't going to be interested in it. Sales are going to be low. That's going to force the dealers to lower that price. And eventually, right. you're going to get somewhere that seems nice. Somewhere in the middle. Something like this, there's no reference point. You know, like we can go, okay, I've got this one in 100 variant. It was an underordered book. I'm going to sell it for a hundred bucks. Sells lightning quick. I'm going to take it up to 125 and it sells lightning quick and I'm going to keep going. Or the opposite. You know, I've got this one in 100 for House of X number one, for instance. I'm going to sell it for a hundred bucks. Sits, 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 doesn't sell. Someone else puts one up for 80 bucks. Sits, 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 doesn't sell. And then someone gets on going crazy, puts one up for 50 bucks, sells instantly that starts to become more of the point, right. you know? Um, but and for something like this, there's no reference point for that. Well, and that's kind of like how I've seen the trend that there are certain variants that are like one per store. And even though those should be a relatively rare book that should have a relatively high price point, stores will put them up for dirt because, oh, I got it for free. Yeah. And, you know, the reality is, this might not be that much of a collector thing. There has to be a market out there for it. How many people are out there in the market for, like, custom Mark Bagley sketches? You know, and it's not custom. Like, I can't lock in on a good word because it's not like Mark Bagley is like, Hey, Paul, keep on trucking. Sign <laughs> Mark Bagley. Here's a sketch of you if you were Venom. You know what I mean? It's not right. like a fucking caricature from Mark Bagley. It's just a random... The only one I've seen, because a local store got it. It's not my local store. I'm kind of pissed about it. Um, <laughs> the only one I've seen is a really cool sketch of Carnage. You know, it's it's a black sketch, so it could be Venom, but it's got similar eyes to Carnage. Um, and it's pretty cool looking, but like... Is each one going to be different? Like, is there going to be a variety? Like, is someone going to get a sketch that's just like a stick figure because Mark Bagley got tired at 19? You know, like... <laughs> right. It, it, there's so much variation that there's just not a good standpoint. So there are people losing their minds like, oh my God, one in, like, only 21 in 10,000. And you got to think like Midtown Comics, Mile High Comics, Comic Exposure, a lot of the big guys, Unknown Comics, they probably have long boxes upon long boxes upon long boxes right. of this so that they could get all these variants and sell them and they do a lot of online selling and stuff like that it's very possible that multiple ones of these one in 20s or these 20 you know copies are just going to sit in a warehouse until the end of time so like as far as we know it might be decades before somebody finds another one you know or yeah. you know we might find like six of them now three of them as time goes by and then never the last one or something. Well, and I'm sure there's plenty of people who are readers rather than collectors and they bought one and they read it and saw a pretty sketch at the back and said, oh, that was neat and assumed that was standard, threw it in their long boxes in their closet yeah. to never know that that yeah. was a thing. Honestly, the smartest thing you could do, in my opinion, is if you stumble upon one of these, get the dollar signs out of your eyes 
you know, if you read an article like, oh, someone sold one for $1 million, then fine, sell yours. But if they're selling on eBay for like hundreds to thousands, just wait. Yeah. And don't, like Marvel's like, you know, tweet about it and post it on our website so that we can make a gallery of all the sketches once people find them. Making it this like cool Willy Wonka golden ticket kind of treasure hunt thing. Um, I would say just keep it quiet. Yeah, just sit on it. Tell nobody, take no pictures on it. Put it in the most secure thing. Like, put it in a bag and board, obviously, a mylar, and put that mylar into a top loader, and put it into a very sturdy short box or somewhere in a safe or in a room somewhere where it's safe and out of sight. Protected. And then, like, 10, 15 years from now, be like, hey, I bought this back issue of Absolute Carnage <laughs> at my local store, and look what it had in it. Because then you're like this mysterious one that never was found, you know? Yeah. Like, because while it's cool to be like one of the first people to get it, imagine if you're the last person to find one years from now. Because it would become this like bit of comic lore and it would harken back to, you know, remember in 2019 when Marvel was like putting out more events than we could even keep track of and they had that absolute carnage thing and they did that weird golden ticket thing and like bam here's that one well and it's entirely possible that by then there will have been an elon musk style comic book lover who has collected all 19 and is willing to pay down three of your homes in order to get that copy or some eccentric billionaire might you know purchase like four of them and burn them or something. <laughs> yeah. Know? Like, you never know. Who knows? So, like, just, just wait. Just wait. I would say wait. I would say, honestly, like, set yourself a price point. Like, if they pop up online for $10,000, I'm going to sell it. Fine. You know? But if people are putting them on for, like, 2000 Like, say one sells for 2000 bucks, You see it, it's like, out the door, 2000 bucks. Just, just wait, man. Just, just like, sit on it. Wait for it. And it might, you know, at the end of the day, it might go down, but whatever, you know, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't foresee something like this. Once it's, once we figured out what the market rate is, I don't foresee it going down because well, it's so limited. And even if it does you know? go down, you likely bought the book for like four ninety nine, seven ninety nine. It's, it's Marvel. Um, still, it was still, less yeah, than ten dollars. It was eight bucks. So you know, <laughs> if you sit on it for fifteen years and it goes down from two thousand to like eight hundred dollars, you still made a profit. Yeah. Oh, and you know, get that shit. Uh, that would be tough, though. I was gonna say get that shit graded, but just protect it, and then when you're ready to tell the world about it, then, then get, get it, it graded. graded. Otherwise, I don't know. It's I don't, go that's out. the thing is that's another question somebody had for me is. We're spending a lot of time on this, but it's whatever. It's important. It happened this week. Um, would getting it graded devalue it? Because if you get it graded, you can't see the sketch. The sketch is in there. Oh. It's like on the back cover. So like, huh. if you got it graded, would it devalue the book? Because the sketch disappears. The sketch is effectively gone. So you have this, you know, I'm sure the CGC would put on there contains Mark Bagley's sketch. But like but you like, can't see it, does it? It's it's a Schrodinger sketch. <laughs> you know what I mean? The sketch is both alive and dead inside the absolute <laughs> absolute <laughs> carnage. You know, that's a good point. That's really plus. I mean, realistically, there are scumbaggy people. That would be an easy thing to fake if you could print out like a decent enough forgery of a CGC label and just like seal it up and put like, oh, it has the sketch. Huh. You know. 
Wow. I mean, I don't know if there are people that forge CGC labels. I don't know if that's there a thing. There are bad but... people who do bad things like that I mean, everything. Forgery people have figured out how to forge, like, make fake foil magic cards. And that used to be the, like, defining, like, at least our foils aren't fake. But now they are. So <laughs> like, there's no hope. There's no style. It's, it's the whole, they mention it in Batman, one of the Batman movies. Jim Gordon mentions it, like... You know, we start wearing body armor. They start using armor-piercing bullets. We start, like, coming in in APCs. They start bringing out bazookas and stuff like that. You know what I mean? It's that whole thing. When you have people who are willing to counterfeit shit. They're going to go the distance. When you put that bar there, like, well, at least you can't counterfeat this. Then they're going to figure out how. Yeah. (laughs) You know? That's that's somebody's job. Yeah, I mean, that's how they're making money. Anyway, get out there. Check your absolute carnage. Take my advice or don't. I don't know. But if you do want to publicize it, uh, Marvel is asking you to tweet out about it. They have hashtags on their website that you can use and on their Twitter and stuff. So, hey, be kind of cool. Post up your pictures. If you find one, email us. And if you find one and you found out about this through us, when you tweet Marvel, you better hashtag us. Yeah, please hashtag us. (laughs) We helped you. (laughs) Tweet, Tweet at us your picture of you know, your, your absolute carnage sketch and also your address and what your usual sleep schedule is. Um, <coughs> totally kidding. I'm not Anyway, we you. read some comics. I don't, I don't care that much. Speaking of absolute carnage, um, <laughs> it's absolute. Uh, there were two absolute carnage tie-ins this week. Um, absolute carnage scream and absolute carnage separation anxiety. Uh, I don't have much to say about Absolute Carnage Scream. It was very kind of mundane symbiote fare. Uh, like, I'm a symbiote. I'm going to eat you. And then that was it. Um, Absolute Carnage Separation Anxiety surprised the shit out of me. Really? I don't really care about a lot of the like side symbiotes. Right. Particularly the four symbiotes that eventually became hybrid. The one from the original Separation Anxiety story arc created by that like weird group. Um I just don't really care. I don't really care about those symbiotes. They were cool and when they popped up in Carnage USA. And right. I know they've popped up kind of all over the place in different times. But I just... They've never really, like, wowed me. They're kind of... They took the symbiote formula and made it into this weird, like... Typical, like, B-level supervillain type thing. Like, one of them is big and strong. One of them's got tendrils. One of them... There was one that could, like... I think that's one of these ones. But there was one that could do, like like bond with technology that was kind of cool um so it was basically like power ranger space symbiote yeah yeah it was yeah <laughs> is that the new one power like, ranger symbiote there's where they're been like, a million let's go power rangers and they like shove out their belt buckle and then they're like <laughs> you know and get devoured by like tendrils uh i'd watch that uh but that actually sounds pretty dope <laughs> yeah that sounds, sounds sweet yo uh um, who's the producer for power rangers uh, I don't know. I was going to make up a name, but I couldn't think of one that was both funny and not racist. Um, well, so let's continue. Let's, yeah, uh, let's, call us. Let's move forward. <laughs> uh, Separation Anxiety was great. It was really cool because it took symbiotes and made it into a horror book. Ooh, it was very horror, very grotesque. They, you know, this hybrid symbiote has been hanging out on this like stray dog, shows up to this dysfunctional family splits apart so that it can take them over as hosts so that they can go to new york and have fun with carnage um 
because that's part of the whole thing is that carnage is summoning all the symbiotes because he's got these like godlike powers now so just a little just dis- that's part of why i was disappointed in scream i was hoping scream would be like i'm strong enough to withstand i'm gonna fight carnage but it was like I want to eat people. Yeah. And it like, (laughs) it took over this chick that was like fighting the carnage symbiotes. And she was like, what is this? I remember this. It was, I forget her name. Patricia, I think is her name. She was, she venom for a little bit. Oh, okay. Um, or she was venom for a little bit. She got bonded with a clone of venom and went full like venom in like the 2013 run. Um, and she was like fighting all these like like blowing up all these carnage lings and fought scream fought scream and then scream took her over and she was like oh wow i remember this power from when i was venom and then it was like shut up bitch and they started eating people (laughs) so i was like oh cool she's not gonna be like cool badass like yeah like we got a new scream it's just like i'm I'm a symbiote. I eat you. Nom, 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 nom. And then there was a lot of eating people in separation anxiety, but it was just a cooler approach to it. It, it was very like kind of poltergeist possession esque, oh, like a very grotesque. It made symbiotes into this kind of weird body horror. Ooh. Like they took over one of my favorites is like the big one takes over the dad, but his like symbiote head is here like, where, where it normally would be, and then the dad's head is still, like, hanging out, like, Ew. on his shoulder. And his, like, hands are hanging out underneath the symbiote's arm, so it's, like, Ew. not fully attached. Oh, that's so, like, the thing. It's very, it's very the thing. Very grotesque. And kind of body. And they all have these, like, weird cords that look like intestines Ew. and shit around. Ugh. And, like, odd protrusions. <laughs> oh, no. It was good. It was, it was very, <laughs> very good. Um, so if you're, you know... Looking for an absolute carnage tie-in while you wait for the main story to continue. That one's definitely worth picking up. I think it's just a one-shot. I don't think they're doing others for separation anxiety because they're continuing Scream and then doing other like one-shots and multiple oh, cool. shots like Deadpool and uh, Lethal Protectors and stuff like that. But definitely worth checking out. Cool. Um, so this week I had a very Chips Darsky heavy Woo. week. Um, I read two Chips Darsky books. And one from his bestie, Ryan North. Um, <laughs> so the first Sorry one. Sorry about that, Ryan. You don't have an identity. <laughs> I love you, Ryan. Props to you for writing like the one book I've been able to read for more than like 15 issues at a spot. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so the first one I want to talk about is Chip is currently doing the run of Invaders, um, which I haven't talked a whole lot about on here um we're already at number eight but what's cool about this is that there's been a lot of talk in the media news about how namor in theory could be in any number of mcu titles coming up yep um they've hinted at the falcon bucky show they've hinted at a number of different ways that they could incorporate it. right they th- you know yeah. it could be king against king which would be cool there's there's all sorts of talk about it but what was really cool is that so this run has essentially been like old war bros having it out because cap and bucky and namor and um the iron torch or whatever they're all hanging out and namor's being a nutter butter and has effectively launched a massive attack on u.s soil 
um, affecting a ton, like an entire city of humans and making them water breathers. Jeez. Bad news. Um, we learned this week, I won't explain the back end of it because it's very interesting, but effectively, Namor isn't actually at fault. He, because of Professor X, is disassociative personality disorder. Oh, okay. Because Xavier has to stop touching shit. <laughs> yeah. He so. he has to stop trying to mess with it. He just makes everything worse. And he's like, oh, let me. I just, can fix you. No, you can't. Put- Put my brain into your brain real quick. Wall this off. and You know why he's a professor? Because mm. he's not a damn doctor. Yeah. Stop trying to do he's not all of these Charles things. Charles Xavier, MD. Like, you're not a psychiatrist. You're not, clearly. Because if you were, all these mutants that then get possessed or destroyed by various bad effences or whatever in the universe, yeah. They would probably be about better off, but you've kind of put them in a really shit position. Yeah, you've really, so good job. really muddled crap up. Good there. job there, Xavier. Good job. But anyway, this is a really cool issue because um, I think Chip may be setting some groundwork for some really cool character development that could be used in the MCU, um, kind of giving a way to do that thing where they bring in a villain and then you find out that he's not actually a villain, and then he sticks around and does stuff, um, a la mm-hmm. Loki style. Nice. Um, and if they cast someone really awesome to be Namor, that's a cool character that can be around a while. Mm-hmm. Like, that can be a powerful one that introduces all sorts of new exciting things and can be a direct competition to their to the DC Aquaman films. Um, so that would be really neat. I still have the question, though, of no one has answered to me whether they got it back from Paramore, or from Paramore, from Paramount or not. Because Namor was owned by yeah, Paramount. I'm, I'm assuming, because most of those licensing deals had, like, a time frame on them. Nobody told me when it was ending, because for the longest time no, it was but like, it was, no, it was pretty pretty Namor. concise time frames. So, like, I imagine they got it back, because there was never a Namor movie. yeah that's true it just it probably happened before the mcu really like blew up into a thing yeah everyone was focusing on like who has the rights to what and you know if it had happened like if it had happened during the time of like you know pre-iron man or even like the early like first three movies no one would have heard about it like it just wouldn't have been news you know Mm, because it was still so young so it's very possible that it happened then you know because I don't know when they knew. sold the rights to Namor, you know? I don't know. I just know that it had happened and that that had been an ongoing... Was it Paramount or was it New Line? New no, Line. it was Paramount. It was Paramount? Because it's the only one Paramount owned. Nice. It was bizarre and completely disassociated from everything else and no one understood why it was a thing. Yeah, that's weird. Anyway. Nice. The Invaders run is really cool. I would suggest you check it out. Like I said, we're already on issue eight. But mm-hmm. I think they're getting close to the wrap-up point. I don't think it's going to be more than, like, a 10 or 12-issue book. Yeah. Um, and I think it could be relatively important when they introduce Namor into the MCU. So there's that. Cool. Speaking of Professor X. Uh-oh. It's Powers of X 2. So we're in book four of the House of X Powers of X trilogy. Or, uh, 
uh, series, mini series, parallel series. I can't. I I can't count. We're at number four of the trilogy, y'all. <laughs> it's a. Uh, it's hard being this stupid. <laughs> um, but Powers of X two came out. So, you know, for those not in the know, just to recap, House of X, Powers of X, they're two different titles that effectively make one 12-issue run. Um, I had the, I was looking at solicitations for books coming out two months from now um, during the whole Dawn of X stuff. And um, the last issue of House of X and last issue of Power of, Powers of X sum up why it's two books better than i've been able to do it myself so because i've had a lot of people be like why didn't they just make one book one 12 issue series instead of these two house of x is about the rise of the x-men powers of 10 is about the fall of the x-men so the focus in house is their rise and the focus in powers is their fall and both of those elements are going to play into what's next oh so if I had to guess, it's probably going to have to do with Moira being born again and going into a timeline, like a different timeline. And that's where we end up in Dawn of X, but that's just me spitballing. Anyway, Powers of X happened. Uh, not as much drastic revelation, more kind of general comic book progression. We know what the damn dirty Humies are up to. Uh, we know about... This one focused very much on Nimrod. Um, and kind of his origins and repurposing his character into, you know, this whole overarching narrative. There's also this, like, bizarre giant space AI that hopefully is going to play a part because it's really creepy. Um, the book kind of just abruptly ends. I was kind of bummed by that. And that's kind of Jonathan Hickman's thing he's doing on this. It's just, like, there's not good, like, cliffhangers. It's just, like... That's hey, the end of this issue. Hey, my name's Tony. And then it, like, ends. You know? And it's like, cool. <laughs> who, who the F is Tony? Um, <laughs> why do I care why, about why Tony? Why do I care about Tony? I, I, I don't know what to expect in the next book. You're leaving me hanging. Um, <laughs> and then you panic. You throw the book. And then you panic again because you threw the book. And you pick it up. And you kiss it. And you lay it down. And it's bag and boring. You read it a story. And then you move on to the next comic. And rinse, wash, repeat. You know? Is this why it takes you so damn long to read a book? Yeah, it takes me like three hours to read one book. You really gotta stop, yeah. dude. Uh, so, it's still trucking along. This issue, like I said, didn't have as much like really heavy stuff in it. They're definitely taking Scott back to his more aggro badass roots, uh, which will be cool because he has some cool... He doesn't really do anything, but he has some cool like bravado moments. Uh, but yeah. I'm still excited to see where it goes from here. Just not as much happening in this one, to be honest. This one was kind of like the throwaway book. <laughs> you, know? you know when you're playing like Cards Against Humanity and your hand just sucks, but you know the only way to get another card is to play a crappy card? So it's like when you, get, card. when you get Wesley Snipes, but there's not like a single black card that has to do with tax evasion, and you're like, well, what yeah, am I going like, to do with oh, this card? I don't know. I uh, Caucasaurus Rex, and then yeah, I mean, which that's that's to be fair, Caucasaurus is a great card. That's a really good but one. But that yeah. would just be a bad time to play it. Yeah, because everyone knows Wesley Snipes and Caucasaurus do not get along. No, 
That's one of those like pick two or yeah. pick three, put two or whatever. Never since the 1998 Academy Awards have Wesley's Snipes and Cock Stories even talked. So it's just a really awkward, awkward it's situation. It's worse than the T Swift Kanye feud. It is, yeah. Like legit. Yeah. It's intense. Anyway, so speaking of important things that happened, um, <laughs> our segues are. They're mm. on top of it today. I want to eat those in a bowl with a heaping portion of bolognese. <laughs> Slurp up them segways. This week's issue of Unbeatable I'll have some Squirrel Girl. Segwetti and meatballs. <laughs> uh, no, no more. I'm sorry. I'll no stop. more. I'll stop. Okay. So this week on Squirrel Girl. Mm-hmm. I was just making sure you didn't have another one of your. No, I'm I'm good. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So. Segwetterol girl. Oh, God. <laughs> ah! I'll stop. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Tell me about kicking nuts and eating butts this week we saw squirrel girl cry <gasps> legitimately we're on issue 47 which is actually issue 50 something right? 50 something it's like 54 and in this entirety of the run i don't think we've ever seen her cry mm. because she's squirrel girl she's she, super positive she eats nuts and kicks butts and hangs out with an adorable squirrel with a little bow on it and the world is great and she has fought everyone and everything and has dominated everybody and saved the world a bazillion times. And she's great. But this time, spoiler, her secret identity has been revealed to the world. No. And there's no going back. And Doreen, no. Literally, there's a scene in this book where she looks at us and just goes, I wasn't done being Doreen Green yet. And I'm like, okay. Hold up, Ryan North. This is not fair. Because no, I read Squirrel Girl man. because it's uplifting and it makes me happy and I feel positive and I feel like, hell yeah, the world is great. And then not only in the same issue did he have Squirrel Girl's identity be revealed, but then there is discussion and intended theory that Mew, everybody's Doreen Green's best friend's cat, has been blown up. <gasps> oh, man. This ep- this this issue was like isn't that kind of the the way that things have been happening over at Marvel though they've been taking these like kind of lighthearted books just filled with levity and then just like pumping like emotional distress into them like how you were reading Unstoppable Wasp and then they were like hey let's talk about bipolar yes yes <laughs> I read these books because I need joy in my life I listen to NPR and all like, way too often they're all bright and cartoony looking and like the art's really cute and, and then approachable. they blow up a cat I can't and then they're like hey, fuck that cat look yeah. I'm I'm straight up about to tweet at Ryan North and be like bro do it, if man. Mew is dead do it right now we're gonna need it, to have words do it right now I wanna I, I we're wanna, gonna yeah no okay. do it you're doing it on okay. the episode we're doing it right now you we guys we're tweeting Ryan North right now okay hang on all right at ryan this is riveting content her North. thumbs are moving with lightning pace is that the ryan well now i have to look up and see what ryan we're having to search is. ryan north you guys okay well how about all right so that was my talk on squirrel girl <laughs> you move on to the next thing and i'm gonna, ta- gonna i'm gonna, gonna tweet, tweet at okay. ryan north uh well speaking of Bright and humorous Marvel comics. Uh-huh. Ah, I got there. I made it. Um, Did you though? Gwynpool struck back with a vengeance in Gwynpool Strikes Back number one. 
return of the Gwynpool. Attack of the Gwynpools. Uh, uh, Revenge of the Gwynpools. The last Gwynpool. Uh, a Gwen- new Gwynpool. Gwynpool 2 Electric Boogaloo? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! Gwynpool 2, Gwynpools for life. Uh, yes. So Gwynpool strikes back. Number one. Uh, it was really fun. I So I have kind of a marred history with Gwynpool, admittedly. Uh, I she came out in the scene as this bizarre joke because it was based off of a Deadpool cover when they were doing Deadpool themed covers for Spider Gwen back in the day. Um, or no, it was a Gwen. It was a Gwen Stacy cover. Excuse me, I got that backwards. It was a Gwen Stacy cover uh, when they were doing Gwen Stacy themed covers, and they they all had names like Gwar was like Gwenpool Thor and stuff like that. Gwoot was Gwynpool Groot. So this one was, or was Gwen Stacy Groot. So this one was Gwynpool because it was on a Deadpool cover. Um, and it just had her like lounging in a like floaty in a pool with a dead guy nearby. Typical like Deadpool stuff. But she had the white outfit and the pink. People fell in love. So they decided to make her an actual character. And eventually they developed, they took Deadpool's fourth wall stuff. And developed it into her essential power. She has the ability to manipulate the gutters of the comic. So she can exist in what's called gutter space. Which is the white space in between panels. And use that to escape trouble or manipulate events and see stuff. She also, her whole premise is that she is from our world. And as far as I know, she's really the only character that that's been like their thing. Where they're from our reality sucked into Marvel Comics. She's a Marvel fan and thus knows a lot of things she shouldn't know, mainly secret identities, secret locations, boss, you know, bad guy weaknesses and stuff. Um, I felt like it was a lot of, like, that particular part of her was very underutilized. Um, I feel like, you know, even though she's from our world, we don't know when, and I think that would have been a really cool thing. You could have built an entire crossover event from Gwenpool having knowledge of a future event and bringing it and it would be absurd it would be absolutely bonkers um but you know Gwenpool brings like hey this person's about to come and one of the avengers is gonna die or something crazy you know and have that be the whole kind of setup of Gwenpool interjecting into this like cataclysmic event because she read the comic and knows it's about to happen and then that changes the event for better or for worse I feel like you could have done a lot of cool stuff and made her easily like a frontline character. Instead, she kind of ended up being a levity character, a joke character in a lot of ways. And, you know, the people who wrote for her had a lot of fun doing it. They put her against Spider-Man. They put her against uh, Spider-Man, Miles Morales, Spider-Man. They put her against Deadpool at times. They really developed on the fourth wall thing. Like I said, they gave her this gutter power. Um, anyway... This issue, so I, I started reading Gwynpool back in the day, stopped reading it because I just, it wasn't really going the direction that I personally thought, and it just, my my own feelings for the character kind of schismed away from what she was being developed into. They ended her series, put her on the West Coast Avengers, that ended, and now she has her own mini-series, and it is super meta, and I love it. It's very, very, like, almost 
unapologetically judgmental of how Marvel handles characters. Her whole, the whole premise reminds me a lot of one of my favorite Aftershock titles, which was by Amanda Connor, um, and was called Super Zero, and it was about this girl who loves comics, so she wants to do whatever she can to get superpowers, so she puts herself huh. in like a lot of dangerous situations oh, to no. try to get superpowers, and then eventually like ends up like sneaking onto a space shuttle and stuff like that oh to, my try, God, to, that's to awesome. try to get like cosmic radiation um it's hey, a really good book you gotta do, man. really good book if you haven't read super zero from aftershock it was one of the earliest aftershock titles and it's great but that's pretty much the premise of this book she is it opens with her robbing a bank and she's strictly robbing a bank so that she can convince peter parker spider-man to save the day and then talk to him and be like hey can you bite me And she makes a lot of references to like, I don't, you know, if I don't stay relevant, Marvel's going to retcon me out of existence or I'm just going to become a background character and essentially never get be allowed to talk or interact with people ever oh, again. No. Oh, because she, being from our world and being an audience member, essentially. Knows how she, this works. Well, she knows that when she's not on the page, she does not exist. Oh, my God. You know, and she talks about how they put her on a team because they didn't know what else to do with her. And that didn't really give her the ability to develop herself. She just kind of became a joke character and stuff like that. And, you know, she really wants to be able to develop her gutter powers. But she feels like she needs other powers that are more relatable because people don't seem to get the gutter powers and stuff like that. Oh, my God. It's super meta super like that's a much better use of like i said it's ability. yeah and it's it's very like tongue-in-cheek towards the editorial staff and the marvel higher-ups being like you know new characters don't mean bad characters you like it's as much your responsibility marvel people to make those characters approachable as it is us buying the books you know and wanting to read them you have to it's utilize a joint effort you have to utilize them well and keep them consistent and like keep them approachable and you know the the whole concept of like oh this character's powers don't relate well to the audience we need to give her a different power is such a like goofy marvel editorial like thought process you know, instead of like, how about we find a different tone or a different story to work this character in where her powers do make sense. It's like, oh, I don't know. Give her claws or something. <laughs> it's <laughs> you know? super kind of interesting if you look at the like whole build of this situation, because the most recent time we saw Gwenpool was her run on West Coast Avengers, yep. which was written by Kelly Thompson. Well, what's funny is that now Gwenpool has her own title and Kelly Thompson about to write Deadpool. Yeah. So, like, clearly Kelly Thompson was doing something right. Anyway, Leia Williams is the writer for this. David Baldion is doing the art. He did the recent run of Domino, so it's gorgeous art. It's a little bit more, I guess, mature than what the what my familiarity of the original Gwynpool run was. I think that would be a great direction to take her, even though she's wearing white and pink and is, you know, at times girly and cartoonish. Uh... I don't think that it instantly means she has to be like a T character. She could be T plus or even parental advisory, like go bold with it. If it works for Deadpool, why wouldn't it work for Gwenpool? Um, but I just, I think what Leia Williams is working with here is a really good angle. She even takes pot shots at herself and is like, <laughs> there's one part where Gwenpool's like, Hey, the person writing this wants you to know that she's really hip and cool. If you haven't gotten that. 
And then literally the next page is Gwynpool giving her exposition while doing Fortnite dances. Oh my god. <laughs> That's and like dabbing and doing like flossing and stuff. Fantastic. It's crazy. So it it's a good book. It is really cool and if you like books that are very meta and tongue in cheek about the comics industry and the editorial side of stuff, then definitely worth picking up. So Nice. Well, my last book for this week is another Chip Starsky, um, but this time it is an independent title um, from Image called White Trees. And I really enjoyed it, um, but I was not prepared for it. <laughs> um, I don't think I remember seeing a mature content advisory on it. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and give you all a mature content advisory on it. <laughs> nice. uh, the content, like the concept is really cool. It's basically, um, you know, it's fairy tale esque and it takes place in like a kingdom and there's a war and okay. there was a war yeah. and the war's still kind of going on. Image is always like all about the fantasy titles right, right now. And there's a guy and he's all grizzled and he pulled a Kratos and was like, I'm done with war. And when he lost his wife and so yeah. he goes off and becomes a farmer the gods of Olympus and he abandons the rest of his troop. Yeah. And you're like, boy, all right, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's the exact voice that I have in yeah. my head for this guy. And so, but he is summoned in front of the King with these two other people who used to be two other guys who used to be his like compatriots in the war. And they're like, what are you doing here? And he's like, what are y'all doing here? And it turns out, that their kids, his daughter and the other person's daughter, were in a relationship and now have been kidnapped. And it's them going off to um, essentially reconcile their differences so that they can go and save their children. And it's really cool because there's a lot of um, diversity and it's very natural. Hmm. So, for instance, um, one of the characters, the large cat guy, is clearly divorced. It's his daughter. Or, yeah, of there's three of them, and this is one of the daughters. And um, he's actually in a relationship with the other companion, the other guy. Okay, nice. And they're, like, all sweet and everything. And the daughters are a thing. And... Like, the ex-wife is super progressive and seems like a total badass and cool about everything. And then there's a really random scene in which there's some incredibly sexually active fairies and <laughs> large drawn penises, and I was not prepared. Yeah. Um, so It here... didn't seem excessive, just excessively unexpected. Yeah. So here's a pro tip. <laughs> For Image Comics. Um, and a lot of the independent titles follow the same thing. I don't think all of like Dark Horse and IDW and Boom and all them, I don't think they, uh, I don't think they rate their stuff. I'm, I'm not too sure. But with Image, and this is kind of paraphrasing something that was put in by Eric Larson in a Savage Dragon 222 or something when he decided to take Savage Dragon from its kind of like bizarre area it was and just do like really explicit stuff in the pages of savage dragon um basically image has t which is like pg it has t plus which is like 
PG thirteen ish. And then it has M, which M for image means anything goes, anything from like R rated gore to like full on penetration. Wow, goes. Um, image does not have like an adults only or like an 18 up distinction. Huh. Mature should be assumed that it's going to be 18 up. It's going to be an adult book. It's going to have F words. It's going to have dicks. It's going to have three dicks on one person's face or something weird like that. Because a lot of image books get really weird. <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah. So that's the basic rundown of the rating system. And then, uh, then they have E. They have E, which is everywhere. Yeah. And now, so. like I said, I consider this gratuitous in any way and the art is very tasteful and it's a beautifully drawn book i just beautifully drawn dicks i mean for cat people sure i but (laughs) that's your thing man yeah i mean hey i don't judge nobody to each they own but um i i think it was more i just it it was a very clean straightforward book and then all of a sudden, there were naked fairies being like, hey, we should do stuff. And then everybody was doing stuff. And then, <laughs> but it was like a very poignant moment because it taught, you know, it brings out like, hey, grief can sway you into doing things you wouldn't normally do. And mm-hmm. like, it was, it was poignant and it was good. Just be prepared. Second pro tip I just learned, you should not stare into your kombucha when you go to take a drink. Yeah, don't do that. Oh, God, no. <laughs> That was startling. There's floaty bits. When you stare into the kombucha, the kombucha stares back. <laughs> kombucha tells you not to stir it because it's all bubbly. I stir the hell out of it anyway. I shake it. I abuse I, it. I try not I'm, to make it explode all over me. I'm but... not currently stirring this one, and I saw something floating. I don't remember. Yeah, there's so many floaty bits. Anywho, that's totally unrelated to everything. I do have to make an interjection. Yes. We have tweeted at Ryan North. And nice. our tweets have been liked by Ryan North. Yeah, Bala. He has acknowledged we're my complaint against justice from you, you guys. Yeah. Justice for we're me. basically famous now, guys. Um, <laughs> so what you got to understand is that now that we're big time celebrities, this podcast is done. Uh, we were just what? doing this as a thing. So no. now that I'm um, now that I'm practically royalty. That's, not, um, that's that you know. Is, thank you for listening. You, you were there when I was um, when I was just a nobody. This is and, super uh, not how Twitter works. Oh, really? Yeah, we're like not even close. Oh, cool. So then I should talk about my last comic. There you um, go. Who <laughs> Oh, God. So, <laughs> oh, no. In Batman's journey to find out who is Leviathan. Uh, in Event Leviathan number three. Uh, so if you remember, I was talking about Event Leviathan number two and how the best detectives in the world detected that hey leviathan wears a red hood who do we know who does that and that's what they went with well this entire book was red hood essentially proving that he is the coolest person in the dc universe he falling off of a building defeats damien batman plastic man question and manhunter and then is incredibly rude to Lois Lane and somehow doesn't walk away with his nuts in a bag. Wow. And Holy shit. then defeats Green Arrow and Batman as he's walking away what? by defeating Batman with Green Arrow's shock arrow that he imp- like blocked with Manhunter's staff and then threw at Batman. Oh my God. And he's just like having this conversation with Lois Lane like, 
come on, you guys are stupid. Like, I'm a, and he does better detecting because he's like, so where's Amanda Waller? And they're like, uh, we probably dead. And Red Hood's like, really? You think that? (laughs) And then just like disappears, like dips. And so the book is interjected with like that moment. Some really weird dialogue. Like, I don't read a lot of Brian my Brian Michael Bendis stuff, but there's points where people say stuff that I can't connect to other people saying stuff. It just doesn't feel like actual conversation in any way. Like, I, I, I don't want to nitpick, and I don't like being, like, critical on the podcast. I try to avoid it when I can. But there are moments in this book, this issue particularly, where there was just some odd disconnect in some of the dialogue for me anyway. Um, so it was interjected between like recapping that fight okay, and then the world's greatest detectives hanging out in the fortress of solitude being like, Hey, you know, maybe the, the, uh, you know, going for the guy with a red hood strictly on the grounds that a 10 year old told us that it looks like the red hood. Uh, maybe that wasn't the greatest idea. <laughs> Derp. Yeah. Cause it was Damien who was like. You both wear red hoods and have a similar mask. Bitch. Well, Damien <laughs> just likes to start shit. Yeah. Like, I and don't even think Damien probably thought it was like, actually Red yeah. Hood. He was probably just like, eh, this is like, fun. Quote unquote, world's greatest detectives are like, the kid's got a point. This 13 year old who probably can't even do complex algebra has a point. Are they going to trust Superdog let's, next? Like, let's come on, do guys. It. Yeah, Crypto walks in and he's like, bark, bark! And they're like, you're right. It is Solomon Grunty. <laughs> Crypto's right, you guys. His orphing was super legit. His, his, he came in and borfed us the truth. So convincing. Um, so, I just thought it was funny. I, I spent most of this issue laughing. Nothing happened yet again. We're three issues deep now, and literally nothing has happened. I don't know what they hope to get out of this event. It's like a six-issue event. We've got three issues left. You know, all we've seen is this group of detectives really showing that World's Greatest Detectives is an easy title to get. <laughs> and like, <laughs> like, that bar is low. You know, if I find the freaking craft mac and cheese at a Publix I've never been to. I am now the world's greatest detective <laughs> because that bar is low, man. Like when you are like, Oh, where's my phone charger? And you're like, wait, didn't my wife use it? And you move and you're like, aha, she did. Guess what? You're the world's greatest detective. Yo, they don't specify world's greatest detective of what yeah. it could be like, I bet Batman makes like a mean mashed potato. So it's world's greatest detective <laughs> world's at, making, at mashed making mashed potatoes. Or maybe he's like, maybe Plastic Man just has a really good palate. So he's the world's greatest detective at like discerning what chilies were used in cooking. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. He's like, like hmm. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs> jalapenos for sure. And yes. Is that a, a red jalapeno? Oh, yes. That's exactly what it is. Like... So yeah, Event Leviathan, I just don't know what to say about it. Um, At this point, like the first issue, I was really intrigued. Second issue, like I said, I found it hilarious that they were like, wait a minute. They like, and to be fair, I don't know what level of secret identity Superman is on with all of these world's greatest detectives, but we're literally talking about people that have 
probably seen Clark Kent because he's a famous reporter and have spent close time with Superman. And some of them probably don't know that those or just think they're two different people that maybe look alike, but they're willing to be like, wait, this guy wears a red hood and a mask. Oh my God. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a one-to-one they can make, but the Clark Kent thing, anywho. Uh, so, at, you know, by issue three, I'm kind of just in the middle. I'm on the fence with yeah. the man Leviathan. I'm going to finish it off because I'm very curious to find out who Leviathan is. Who's Leviathan? Yeah. yeah, I mean, Batman's got me hooked. He seems really interested. <laughs> he wants to know. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, knows? he's not going to put any effort into knowing. Superman is getting involved. That's a cool part of the book. And we find out what happened to Amanda Waller. And she seems to think she knows who Leviathan is. But Amanda Waller probably does. Yeah. Otherwise, Amanda Waller. Otherwise, not much going on in this. So I don't know. So maybe maybe hold off. That might be a good one to get in a trade paperback. <laughs> you know. Fair enough. I think that's it for us this evening that is gonna finish it up uh if you want more cup of tea there's a lot of different ways you could do that you can follow us on twitter like ryan north obviously <laughs> uh or on <laughs> facebook at cover me podcast or you can find us on our website coverbepodcast.com where yep. you can look at all of our past episodes you can listen to them you can find merch all sorts of cool stuff yep and my best friend ryan north uh he wanted me to tell you guys to follow our personal instagrams as well yeah absolutely. he does cosplay i don't post much these days i don't know i'm busy <laughs> don't, sometimes don't judge and kombucha me. and kombucha yeah yeah but um you know be be like ryan north and and support your local comic podcast because it is what it is you know so uh cool stuff what do you think i like it uh now if we could wrap this up i gotta call ryan north about doing some like meeting up for some gaming or something oh you know yeah. I mean? yeah yeah he, he was he was asking me he was like hey we're gonna do some D. yeah we're gonna cool. you want to come over and play some board games Super cash. you know maybe you and i can talk about you know what happens next for squirrel girl he likes to you know he respects my opinion on that kind of right stuff, so yeah totally you know um, oh my god ryan north please actually be our friend please be Oh my somebody, god. Somebody Please. famous in the comic industry. <laughs> Anybody. Anybody. I'll take crazy ass Frank Miller at this point. <laughs> I'll be like, you're right, Frank. Those Occupy Wall Street guys are a real bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you're right, man. Thanks for listening, guys. Come back next week. Please. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs>